0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, everyone,
1: and welcome to another episode of Syracuse Sports Make Me Drink here on the Troy News National Magician Podcast Network. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo. And who else do we have in the line? We had someone. I think it was Dan. Dan's calls dropped. So we'll give him a few minutes to call back in. But that said, um, a lot going on in the Syracuse world, uh, considering this is the off-season. Wait, is that Dan? Yes, it is. Hello, Dan.
2: How's it going, everyone?
1: Good. It's just just you and me. Matt, oh, cool. unfortunately, had Good. to uh, had to bow out the last minute, so I was uh, I was just starting to talk about the Surprisingly busy uh football and basketball off season. I know a lot going on today. Um, some things we can't disclose just yet, uh, but a few that you know everyone kinda of been talking about on the site. Uh I guess we'll start with uniforms. Yeah. Now yeah. we've heard some rumors, Dan, and that's pretty much all we can say at the moment. Yeah, not,
2: and uh, uh not too much to report uh, on the Jer- Jersey front. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think next week we may have some stuff to talk about.
1: Yeah. I mean, from, from rumors I've heard, I've heard really pretty much like all over the map in terms of what we can expect. I know what I wrote about a speculation a few weeks ago. Um, as we said over and over again, just praying for orange and praying for you know things that that make me actually want to, if not buy the uniform, at least want to look at it. Yeah, um, I know that yeah. Miami, I know that Miami put out their like insane uniforms from like a day ago. Florida State decided to uh, you know
2: fix something that wasn't broken um, last I can't week. I thought they they didn't really change all that much, but I thought what they added was kind of neat and kind of made them a little more, like, I don't know. It added to a, lot, a lot of uniqueness, although they probably did not need to be changed, but I didn't think they, like, overhauled it to the point where people, I don't know what their fan base thinks about them. I haven't looked, but I don't know. I kind of like the Florida State ones. I, I haven't looked enough at the Miami ones to really pass judgment.
1: I mean, Florida State fan base isn't exactly thrilled about them. Um, they're not overly, like, bent and out of shape as far as, like, the, the typical, like, jersey we're going to see from them, just your standard, um, you know, white and the standard uh, burgundy, I, I think where where they're kind of getting bent out of shape, and, and I don't blame them for this, is, like, the all-gold look and the all-burgundy look and the, burgund, like, matte burgundy helmet. And the black and, and the, uh Yeah, the black jerseys especially. Like, they're just not big fans uh, of the changes. I mean, it could have been much worse on the bright side, uh, but um, on, the, on the other hand, you know, it is unfortunate to see, you know, Nike just messing with things for the sake of it. I do think at athletics department wide is where I think the value in Florida State's um, remake comes. Is it, just you know, there's a there's a uniform use of the seminal head. There's a humanel, There's a you know uniform use of the uh, spear. Uh, a uniform use of just burgundy and gold in general. Um, and, and and I think there is, is where the athletic department really, you know, gained um, a branding upper hand where they now have, you know, the same colors, the same marks everywhere.
2: Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed what they did. I thought the details were, were neat um, with like the little spear patterns and whatnot. Um, but I don't know. I, I, you know, a lot of the things, like the, the alternate uniforms that we see, um, ultimately the athletic department kind of hears, or most athletic departments hear the, what fans say. I mean, we saw what, happen, what happened with our basketball jersey this year. Um, obviously people didn't like the blue shorts and the orange top, and we lost that game. It was our first loss. It shouldn't help. But, I mean, a lot of people thought we would end up seeing the orange shorts or the, you know, other alternates, and those were quickly – put into storage if they did this at all. So, I mean, if something isn't popular, the schools are going to know, uh, and they're going to probably quit, you know, maybe use them once and then send them away, or if they're that popular, they'll put them on store shelves and sell the hell out of them. So, And that goes for Syracuse, too, whenever we do find out about the lawn rumored New Jerseys. I mean, who knows how many different combos we'll have, but if, you know, there's something that the fan base is totally against... I mean, we'll probably see it once, but we might not see it twice. So, you know, just get through it, I guess. Agreed. And speaking of things
1: that we're not going to see again, we do have plenty to talk about. But um, I'd like to spend a ton of time with football, and I think that, uh, you know, we can do that later on in the second half. But as I was saying, something that we aren't going to see again, unfortunately, is uh, Jeremy Grant in the Syracuse basketball uniform. Um, and that's that's incredibly disappointing for me, for you, and everybody else in the Orange fan base, I know that we uh, we all have some high hopes that you know he he he'd the advice of of some that you know he'd use another year uh, honing his college game, it was game in college at least, and it's he's still played to be a first round pick, so I can't really blame him for leaving. Um, but this certainly is a blow, um, you know, to SU's chances next year.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I think the I think we've pretty much moved past the. You know, if you're not a top-five pitcher, whatever you could say, Thing, I think it's really become, if you're going to be a first-rounder, you're probably going to leave. I mean, look at some of the people who have left today. Isaiah Austin's leaving. Um, I'm, I, th- I think the biggest thing, it sounded like, just to me, putting two and two together, it seemed like Grant waited to see what a couple of other forwards did. And his announcement came out right after Montrez Harrell from Louisville decided to come back. So I think, you know, enough people decided to return uh, that Jeremy felt comfortable going in, and I think you know he's he's a crazy athlete. He's still going to be one of the top, probably five or ten athletes that like just pure, pure you know ability, like athletic ability in this whole draft. Um, even if his you know his jump shooting isn't there yet, or he's still developing his game, and you know I really have a tr- hard time blaming someone for taking an extra year of pay and an extra year towards his his uh his second contract i mean even if even if the uh there's a little bit of risk there it's it's so hard to to blame someone for leaving school to make millions when if we were their family member, we probably would have jumped on board with that immediately so i don't know I, I mean when when we had our emergency podcast right after the uh the loss to dayton uh I said I probably thought both of them were leaving just because mostly because it's easier to to think that and then mentally prepare for it so I wasn't too shocked when when the news came out. Um, it is disappointing, but I, I haven't been getting too worked up about the future of the team. I mean, the, on paper, it's going to be a rebuilding year, but there's so much talent that we've, as I said you know, previously, there's so much talent on this team that we haven't even seen yet, like already here, um, plus the freshmen coming in are both very highly touted. So it, it's hard for me to get worked up when we have no idea what, Tyler Roberson's in a bring. We have no idea. Russ, uh, not Russ, Bus Patterson and uh, and BJ Johnson and and Chino. Like we have a bunch of just really unknown pieces, but they were all really big time recruits for the most part. And mo- I mean, they're they're most more likely than not gonna be able to play. I think if you look through the last couple of years of Syracuse basketball rosters, there have been very few people who don't end up being co- contributors. I think. Since I've been a Syracuse fan, the list is probably Mookie Jones and Deshante Riley, and that's probably the whole list. So more more often than not, Beheim hits on these guys when we recruit them. So I'm not too worried about you know not having players next year. Um, well, now whether or not they are the right fit or whatever is a different story. But I think the team will be will surprise a lot of people next year, and I think it'll be pretty solid. Yeah, I
1: mean, I I've seen kind of like a mix in the comments of some people going, oh well, you know, like. We can't keep doing this or we lose, you know, three to four, like, major contributors and then reload. I mean, why not? I mean, if we want to believe ourselves to be on, you know, as just part of an upper echelon of college basketball, then I think we, we should be doing that. I mean, it's the I reality wanna, it? yeah, especially in the one-and-done era. Like, if you do well with younger players, they're going to move on. You're going to bring in new younger players, and it's going to encourage even more guys who are more likely to be one-and-done to come to your school, do they understand that they have the platform to, to succeed and the platform to move on to the next level? And, like, I don't blame these kids. It's the system. They, it's not like they're – I mean, they're not betraying any, anything that they were supposed to do for us. They were supposed to, you know, show up and play basketball for a minimum of one year, which they did. Like, and for me, like, I, I don't hold it against them. I don't, and I don't think it's a bad thing for the program. Um, th- this isn't like what we saw right after um, the 2003 title – where there was, um, you know, a rash of kind of guys that came to SU that, that were more, were better suited for the pro game that had a ton of flaws we um, were really just using um, colleges, like, like, solely for a tune-up. Um, I think that the guys that we're recruiting now are still Syracuse players um, through and through. I mean, they're guys that just happen to be good enough to go after a year or two. I mean, Definitely to me, I, I think that's a really
2: encouraging state of a program. The other thing is, is like a lot of people, you know, for, whatever, for you know, valid reasons and non-valid reasons, don't watch the NBA or, or seem to really resent the NBA for taking our players from us. But the Syracuse basketball program wouldn't exist without the NBA as a goal, or it would be like an intramural team. Like, these kids aren't here, as, as I know Sean said a bunch of times, their like dream isn't to play for free in college. Uh, their dream is to play in the NBA, and if they fall short of that, then college is a really nice. You know, stepping stone anyway, and they'll probably get to play in Europe and or or whatever. And people act like Europe is like being sent off to some like awful awful thing. Like Paul Harris went to the Philippines and seemed to have a blast, and he probably made a decent chunk of money doing that. So there's plenty of pro basketball out there for people to get paid for. Uh, if I could play pro basketball in Antarctica, I think that'd be a pretty sweet deal. Um, unfortunately, I can't. But like even if even if these kids don't end up being Carmelo Anthony. They can still carve out a really nice career for themselves, and if they left a year early and they, you know, lost the opportunity to be a higher draft pick, that also doesn't necessarily mean they would have worked out. Like maybe Dante Green would have had a better NBA career if he stayed another year, but that's not guaranteed. Um, so it's it's hard to it's hard to just say something is is the wrong decision and then, you know, act like you know exactly how things would have worked out. Um, and it's also you know it's hard to put yourself in those shoes. Because that is a crazy, crazy hard decision for people to make. I'm sure you know Tyler and and Jeremy. Even though you know Tyler left pretty soon after the season ended, I'm sure he had some some serious thoughts about staying at Syracuse. I mean, why wouldn't you? But ultimately, he probably made the right call. to will most likely be a 12 to 15 pick, and he'll have a really good chance of of showing what he can do in the NBA.
1: Yeah, I mean, you hit on a good point there. Like just because you're not the next Carmelo. Like, there's very few people who are Carmelo. Like, being Hakeem Warwick isn't that necessarily a bad thing. Being even like Johnny Flynn or Dante Green, guys who, like, didn't last a whole lot of time in the league. Or, you know, being, being a Wes Johnson, who has actually carved out a pretty nice niche for himself in the Lakers this year. Like, you don't need to be a superstar. I mean, I know that's the goal for everybody.
2: But for like, some, it's Dante not going to happen. Dante made $5 million as an NBA player, and that doesn't count whatever his D-League salaries were or whatever he's making in China, which is probably a pretty nice penny. Uh, Hakeem Warwick, who didn't have a great NBA career by any means, looking at basketball reference, which has a handy salary thing, um, made over $21 million as an NBA player. That's crazy, and he was an average NBA player at best. Um, So it's really... The poor to the bad decision is you know the the, the bad decision thing is is very overblown I think um, and you know there are guys who can benefit from coming back, but it's very speculative as to whether or not they will and if even if they even if they break even and they would have they go to the same as that pick they would have the year before they're losing a year of their career and a million or two million dollars just because they stayed and probably got better but didn't get better in terms of their value to an NBA team. So it's, it's, I think it's very, much easier to justify leaving than to stay, honestly, at this point.
1: Right, and like you think about it, if you leave school as a 19-year-old, how the salary structure works, if you leave after freshman year versus leaving after senior year, you basically miss out on an entire max contract by leaving after senior year. Yep. And that's like the economics that you know, I mean, Dan, I know you and I are some of like the only NBA fans in the you <laughs> know, on the entire blog, which is weird. I think it's likely a product of just what Syracuse basketball means to the SU community, to the larger Syracuse City community, um, more than anything else. Um, because I think, you know, like when you have a community like that that's so basically hit the college team as a pro team, they really stop kind of paying as much attention, um, you know, to pro basketball. I think you see that a lot. Um down in, I think you see that a lot down in North Carolina. I think you see that a lot in Lexington, and Louisville, who don't have teams necessarily, but have teams nearby um, that they don't necessarily pay much mind to. And I think it's the case with Syracuse as well. Um, I think you brought up there was, you know, you're right. Like Europe is not this this awful <laughs> like place. Like if you have to go play basketball in Italy for 12 months, it's really the worst thing in the world. Like Europe's a beautiful place. There's a lot of really nice things to see. <laughs> And you can have a pretty nice quality of life there. Like I don't, I don't really understand like what the what the knock against that is, other than it's not the United States. Like if D League teams went against most of the pro teams in um, Western Europe, a lot of the pro teams, um, even in like parts of Asia, like they lose pretty bad. So it's not as if we're functioning in a world anymore in which the United States, from you know Pro like the highest pro level on down to high school can just run roughshod
2: over you know the rest of the world's teams. Yeah, I, and I think a lot of it is that the the post Jordan pre like in his prime LeBron era NBA the the quality wasn't all that great and there was like a lot of people still now who have jumped off the NBA ship were like oh it's just all one on one basketball and no one plays defense. Which is so not true now. Like the last couple of years, has the the quality of basketball in the NBA, unless you're a Knicks fan, um, has been really good. I, agree. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just sneak that in. Um, but uh, it, I mean, it's a lot of these teams in the NBA are so much fun to watch. And I, I still prefer college basketball um, in general. Like if I had to choose between a, a great college game and a great NBA game, I'm watch the college one, um, just because I think the the styles are more you know, diverse, and it's more they're more interesting. But, I mean, if you go watch the NBA playoffs this year, if you watch the San Antonio Spurs or, or even the Miami Heat or or the Pacers, if they ever did off their schneid, like they play beautiful basketball. And the ball movement's great. The defense is is very good. So I think a lot of the, the NBA developed a bad reputation a couple of years ago, and a lot of the people who don't watch the sport now just haven't, like, Paid attention, or or uh, just refuse to. And I think a lot of it is like the the whole college town thing, where on top of that, you know, they're the reason why the best players leave early, and there's resentment there.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly,
2: you know, I'm a huge NBA
1: fan, and even during like the the dark days of the Knicks, which hopefully aren't back for good. Um, there was, there was a lot of me just kind of rooting for the Knicks, obviously, but sitting around just kind of just watching the NBA, and it's really when I I think gained a much greater appreciation for the game because um, you know what? I think you get a better lens to watch college through is you, you understand and expect the mistakes and you understand you know how like how those mistakes can lead to better players down the line. Um, I think they are two different style of games, and I, I think you can watch both there is plenty of defense in the NBA, you're right, I think. You look at the the rules that have basically, you know, um, handcuffed defenders um, against, you know, elite, like, one-on-one scorers, and the fact that we still have a lot of elite defenders in the league just proves that these guys are actually legit because they don't have the ability to just, you know, rough guys up under the rim, unless they play for the Pacers or Bulls, and in that case, they're allowed to do whatever the hell they want. Um <laughs> I mean, it's kind of true. <laughs> but, but beyond that, like it it's a very entertaining game. And a lot of, you know, if, if for nothing else, people should watch the NBA just to get more basketball, watch former SU players. I mean, you know, I don't think there are any former SU players in the playoffs this year. But more often than not, there are. More often than not, there's people to root for. Um, I would encourage those who have written off the NBA time and time again to maybe give it another shot. There's, I mean, this year is going to be really entertaining. I know I personally I have league pass on my phone all the time, and if I'm not watching a game in person, I mean, I'm out of market, so if I can watch a next game on my phone, it's still better than not watching at all.
2: So watch the playoffs. And this is a PSA for the NBA. Yeah, the playoffs are always great ba the, the the quality of basketball in the playoffs is pretty, especially once you get past the first round is really good. Um, like, that That Spurs-Heat series last year was just ridiculous. Um, it is unfortunate that we don't have any SU guys that are going to make the playoffs, but it is nice that the SU has finally gotten more than one good player. I mean, obviously, Deion's had his issues, but he's performing well. He just needs to get out of the shadow of Kyrie Irving, because apparently they have their beef. Um, Car- Michael Carter-Williams is going to win Rookie of the Year, which is awesome. And he's had... You know he hasn't shot the ball well in the NBA, which not a total surprise, but he's done everything else really well. He had like 15 rebounds the other night, so we're we're getting some some pieces down there, and and hopefully Ennis and Durant are the next two who step in and and can play right away.
1: Yeah, I mean I'm really curious to see uh, where they fit in. Like I would love, I think Ennis would do wonders for Milwaukee, but I don't want him to go there because I feel like he's just going to break their hearts. And Grant may the same thing.
2: I I would love – I don't know. I have to really look at the rosters for next year and see who's moving where. Um, I would love Ennis to go somewhere where there's already an established starter at point guard where he can step in and play, like, 20 minutes a night and so he can develop a little bit. Grant, I think, you know, he, he's so explosive that I could see him being, like, a you know, an energy guy off the bench right away. Um you know, he both both need to add to their frames, but I think Jeremy was, you know, was pretty well built for for the NBA style play. It's not like he's gonna have to guard LeBron every day. He was like a freak. Um, there's plenty of other guys his size in the league, so I think they both have pretty bright NBA futures. And the whole players don't develop in the NBA thing is is also a massive overreach. Like plenty of people go to the NBA and, and break out pretty quickly, so. Uh, they'll be fine, both of them. Um, and, you know, I, I hope that Syracuse fans jump on board with supporting them because if Tyler Ennis becomes a star or Jeremy Graham becomes a star, that only helps Syracuse.
1: Oh, I completely agree. You know, I was going to say while you were talking that I, I think that a great place for Ennis would be the Pelicans, but even even oh <laughs> well, yeah, I kind of went back and looked at the roster and I realized, eh, <laughs> There's just way too many guys on this team already that need the ball. I mean, between, like, Evans, Gordon, Holiday, and, like, Austin Rivers, there's just way, way too much. um all turns play. there. But in general, maybe not the best place uh, for him to go. If, if Ennis is going to be a star in a league, um, so I, I'd like to see him... If he went to Orlando, I'd actually, I'd actually be interested to watch that. Um, I would say he could go to Phoenix, um, hang out under Gortat for like another two years before he
2: signs a massive
1: deal somewhere else.
2: Orlando's an interesting choice because then they can move Oladipo over to the two where he's more natural. It's a small backcourt, but I mean, they could. It probably makes a little more sense than them you know, running Oladipo at the point guard because they really still don't know what they're doing with him. Oh,
1: no. And, I mean, Orlando's going to be a fun team to watch. It's just based on time. As always, I just kind of worry about the NBA. I mean, we're both fans of big market teams, um, so we don't necessarily have to be as concerned about this. But you look at, like, all these great players or soon-to-be great players on these, like, small market teams, I just think it's only a matter of time before they all leave um which is a shame, uh, and then unless you build up something like Oklahoma City or San Antonio, um, it does become increasingly difficult to hold on to talent. Like, and that's what Milwaukee is having a problem with. And obviously, Orlando has a problem with Dwight Howard, and they had to scrap the whole team. Um, and I just think, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how how the next crop of small market teams um, with stars can kind of uh, hang around. Because I think, you know, people thought if anyone was going to stay, it was going to be LeBron in Cleveland. He obviously shot that idea in the face. Um, and then pretty much since then, uh, you haven't really seen um, those, like, non-top 20 to 25 markets um, hold on to any talent, which is, which is really a shame because, I mean, the NBA, yes, has always gotten by on a competitive imbalance. Um, but I think the league, if it wants to continue to grow toward um, the next level, which is probably overtaking Major League Baseball completely, is – is getting that competitive balance and, and finding, you know, more ways to to keep talent in smaller markets. Like, in baseball and football, it doesn't really matter. And even in hockey, it doesn't really matter. Just in basketball, it's just always been this way where,
2: you know, the big markets have the best players and that's it. I think, the the most interesting team in that regard is going to be, you know, maybe not for the next couple of years, but Oklahoma City. I mean, we've already seen them – ship away Harden for, um, you know, probably way too little. And I don't know that, I mean, it seems like they get along well, but Durant and Westbrook still doesn't make all that much sense on paper to me uh, as like an ideal combo. And it'll be really interesting to see if if they can hang on to both of them for the long term because I feel like eventually they're just going to need to find somewhere to send Westbrook. If
1: they're going to send Westbrook somewhere, they send send him for an elite uh, point guard. Oh, yeah, I mean, Durant needs a distributor. I mean, in an ideal world, Westbrook heads to Minnesota and, I mean, some other combination of athletes. And you could have Ibaka Durant and Rubio, what what I think would, would just be absolutely gorgeous
2: basketball on a nightly basis. That'd be interesting. Or you can go straight up Russell Westbrook for Rajon Rondo. See, I mean, I'm a Rondo hater, so I don't know if I would R- do that if I was Oklahoma City. They probably have to do up something more, but Rondo is such a great like like his passing is just ridiculous. I think that'd be interesting to see. Plus, then Westbrook can be the single like build around him as the lead scorer. Um, in Boston, I don't know. There, there's a, I, I don't think they're going to get rid of them anytime soon. Uh, they don't need to, but it just seems like it'll be hard to sustain that in Oklahoma City. And it'll also be interesting to see if Oklahoma City ever, you know, loses the uh, like the uh, the honeymoon effect there and loses, you know, they have great attendance and fan support now. But there's still a very new new uh, franchise there, and it'll be. You know, if they ever have a couple losing seasons, I could see that fan base kind of, you know, getting over it. So it, it there's a that's, like, the one uh, small market team that's just been incredible, and the Spurs, but the Spurs have been so good for so long that it, they've, like, gotten past any worries, I guess, at this point. But um, it'll be interesting to see if they can keep it up. Definitely.
1: Yeah, like, Osama City needs, to me at least, Needs to win a title in the next three seasons um, if they want to keep the nucleus together and like keep the fan support up. Like San Antonio always had very good support because they've always been a very solid team, um, and even before Popovich, you know, you look way back to George Gervin, um, in the, the ABA days, um, even. So, you know, I think they had the perfect storm of you know David Robinson was around. Um, and really had them near the top of the league for, for most of the 90s. Um, and then luckily, like, you know, as his career started to wind down, you know, Tim Duncan shows up, and as Robinson then leaves, and Duncan's still reaching his peak, you know, then Parker and Ginobili show up. Like, I mean, that, that to me it, it is really a perfect storm. It um, doesn't mean that, you know, Oklahoma City needs to replicate that, but I think success and, you know, the Spurs have been to five finals and won four since 99. Um, I, I think that type of success is is absolutely necessary long-term um, for any smaller market team. I think, you know, you're seeing that in Milwaukee. Like, Milwaukee hasn't been to the finals since the 70s. Their fans are getting aggravated. They're frustrated. They live in Milwaukee. So, you know, all, all these things combined it doesn't really uh, spell a recipe for success. So I, I am very curious to see kind of what happens with a lot of the teams. And like you said, I think Oklahoma City is the most the most interesting um, and I think this year I'm not necessarily sold that they um, that they have it. Again, I think you know Durant can only do so much, and and I think that supporting cast, well, it might cost a decent amount of money. It's it's just not this is not what they need if they want to win a seven game series against a team like Miami or a team like San
2: Antonio right now. Yeah, I, I would love to see San Antonio get another one. I thought, I mean, last year they were just so close. And that they should have won, honestly. I mean, with that nonsense at the end of game six, but um, I think mean, that would just be an awesome story. But it, and I'm hoping, obviously, my Brooklyn Nets and their incredibly strange style of play can make a run. Although I'm not super confident, especially if we draw Chicago in the uh, first round, which it looks like is a very strong possibility. You know
1: how I feel hate most of the teams meeting conference. A lot of other issues. But anyway. Uh half time. Which means we're
2: talking about beer. Uh what have you been drinking lately, Dan? Um, for the first time since probably sometime at Fagans while I was at Syracuse or visiting, um, I had some a beat of purple haze this weekend, which is delicious and a beer that was always a regular drink for me at at Fagans, so, uh, especially on Flip Night when you could get them for free. Um, that was that was fun. I just I don't know why it's, it's all over the place. It's not hard to find. It's just one of those things where you don't think you get it all the time. And I I was I had a couple of those this weekend. Um, let me see what else. Uh, I drank PBR because I didn't want to spend a lot of money, and Uh, I drank some different, couple things from Dogfish Head, so, nothing too new, but diving into some, uh, you know, old favorites there.
1: Nice, nice. On my end, uh, drank quite a bit, my brother was in town, so got to enjoy and kind of introduce him to a lot of the different West Coast beers, uh. And breakaway pale Ale from Noble Ale Works on Monday, Uh, that was quite excellent. Also got to enjoy on Saturday, uh, Figaro Mountains uh, Hoppy Poppy IPA. Unfortunately, both of those are only available in this general area. Um, Stones Enjoy By uh, 516.14 IPA just came out um, at the tail end of the uh, previous release cycle for 420. Um, Unfortunately, it's only in California, Virginia, and I want to say Puerto Rico. So, unfortunately, um, unlike the last release, which is in 40 different states, um, this one is going to be a little bit harder to find for folks. Um, so I apologize for that in advance. i um, also enjoyed a Hop uh, House uh, Belgian Pale from, from uh, Oma Gang, which every listener should be able to uh, snag, and a uh, Thrill Seeker IPA from Beechwood. drank a bunch of other stuff, but eh, don't really need to get into that. I just think it's too long of a list. I don't want to bore everybody. Drank plenty. Take a uh, few-day hiatus before jumping back into things for the weekend. Very nice. Yeah. Now the uh, the subject of the hour, uh, spring football. Out of the outside of the, uh, the first on-field look at uh, the New Jerseys, we're going to be seeing um, a lot of the players and names um, and just situations that we've been really hearing a ton about um, throughout the last couple of weeks. So, Dan, I guess, starting with the offense, uh, what's your big storyline uh, that, that you're going to be focused in on? Um, are there any players um, on the opposite side of the ball that you're really excited to see, really dreading kind of, you know, what you don't see from them? Um,
2: I, I It's going to be kind of a repeat because I, wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, but the offensive line, I think both has the potential to be the best it's been in a long time, but also the injuries are a major concern there, especially losing Kyle Knapp for the rest of his career, which is incredibly unfortunate. I think we talked about that last week. Um, but if they if they get up to you know healthy and get together this, this year, maybe, probably not this spring, but by fall camp and, and for opening day, I think the O-line has a chance to be really good. Um, I've heard, you know, John Miller is supposed to be one of the breakout players of camp. Um, I, I like a lot of the things I saw from Michael Laster last year. He was a little rough the first couple times he got thrown in there, but by the end of the season, he was a pretty productive player off the bench. Um, and then Trudeau is just a road grader. Uh, Hickey's obviously a first-round potential tackle, and you know a couple other guys that that all have ability. So it's exciting to see you know, some possibilities there. And the fact that um, Trudeau was at center and Miller's been good enough where he's kind of bumped him off the first-team center line and back to guard, the fact that we have a kid who is stepping up in that major of a way is, is pretty exciting. That's
1: nice. Um, yeah, I guess for me, like, I know that I heard McDonald talk and, and Schaefer talk a lot more about um, eating things up um, and a lot about, you know, more of these, uh the bubble screens, which I know uh, was met with a lot of consternation in the comments section about how could you have any more bubble screens than you already had. Um, that said, I know I, I just wrapped up reading uh Bill Connolly uh, from FD Nation's uh, Football Study Hall book, or I forgot what it was called. I think it was just Study Hall. Um, just finished reading that book. And, and you know, it, it presented some interesting statistics uh when it came to you know, those, you know, zero to three-yard swing passes. And to be honest, they're, they're actually they're perfect for high-paced offenses. They're perfect for picking up quick first downs. They're perfect for picking up yardage. Um, and, and they're actually incredibly efficient. They're some of the most efficient, um, you know, plays you can run on the field. And to me, at least, you know, as someone who was very skeptical about a lot of our play calling last year on a weekly basis, um, that was encouraging to read that there's actually some numbers behind it. Um, that there is a method to the madness. Um, I'm interested to see, you know, not only, like, I I don't need to see, uh, you know, Briz and Broyles and everybody. Like, I I know what those guys bring to the table. What I need to see is I need to see Funderburg. Um, I need to see what uh, Adonis Amin Moore is going to give us now. Uh, You know, I need to see what the tight end situation shakes out to be. Um, and, and I need to see how you know Hunt kind of looks um, under center. Is, is he is he more comfortable? Is he more accurate? Is are we seeing more more precision from his passes in Christmas? Um, and then I kind of want to see, I do want to see how his his running um, evolves in the game. I know, you know, last year he was he was used pretty frequently uh, running the football, and I'm curious to see you know if that becomes a little more refined. Uh, I don't know, Dan. Do you think that last year? I mean, obviously, Hunter's used a bunch again, uh, around the football. But do you think? I think there's definitely room to improve his usage and improve. It's a of, I thought it was very rough around the edges last year. I think there's there's much more we can do there, and, and honestly, there's much more we can do to protect him um, a, as our kind of you know franchise passer. Well, not franchise, but the the passer anointed to lead the program for at least another year or two. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, definitely. I think. Um, I, the, the team seemed to really get comfortable with what he can do in the last two games, the bowl game and the BC game, and I think uh, they'll they'll probably, I mean, I think those two games he ran more than he usually did. So I am I think the nice thing about Hunt is he's not a really fast guy. I know a lot of people were like, we had the 40 times in probably a year or two ago, and people were surprised he was one of like the slower quarterbacks in the roster, but he – just kind of knows where he's going and how to maneuver the football field and, and uses blockers. And I think um, maybe not as many design, more designed runs necessarily, but I just giving him the freedom to scramble and the freedom to you know break plays off when he sees fit. And I think a lot of that will come with him being a better passer and being um, more cognizant of, of who's open and, and what, the, what the reads are. And this fast-paced offense probably also helps that because things like – the bubble streams that you brought up, um, really quick plays like that and really quick plays um, as you're moving through a, a no-huddle offense, it just makes it harder for the defense to identify everything. And one of those things is the who has contained on the quarterback. So I think just the pace of the offense can really um, help hunt out and simplifying the playbook. Uh, and I was very excited to read that, too. I'm, I'm all on board with just finding a couple dozen plays that you're really comfortable with and hammering those because those those are the you know the things that the top college offenses do now. Origin doesn't run that many plays. Um, I mean the, the the playbooks that like Baylor and stuff they're not huge. They're just plays with all the packages built in. And if, if you don't know what package plays are, there was a great article I think on Grantland like a year ago about, about them. And it's just so interesting how these offenses are built now. And it's really thrilling to me to see that we're going back to that, because that was a real staple in the Nate Hatchett offense in 2012. And McDonald's obviously done his homework, and that's going to be really how our offense is built this year. And I think it really helps, especially college kids who have so much else on their plate, um, nail down exactly what they need to do. And if there's less clutter and less confusion on the field, and, and we can, you know, really work on getting 80 plays a game or 75 plays a game, I think it's going to be great for the offense. And and Hunt, especially, if if he can focus more on doing a couple things incredibly well, I think it will benefit him a lot. So I'm excited to see what he does. And I'm also excited to, uh, to see that the game is uh, apparently on ESPN 3, so we can watch it maybe. Oh, that's delightful. Yeah, I saw it was on an ESPN network. Um, On a listing. So I'm assuming it's ESPN3 as well as Time Warner, which is nice because I will definitely stay home and watch that at 1 o'clock. Yeah, I'm going to, I mean,
1: see if I can convince my wife that her Saturday will involve
2: watching a Syracuse football practice. (laughs) Well, it'll be at what, like 9 a.m., 8 a.m. for you? So what else are you going to be doing? Yeah,
1: that's fair. Um, (laughs) I'm going to have to. So, worst case, I know that ESPNU usually uh, usually plays those back um, at various points when there's not a lot of live programming on. Right now, we're actually in, in a nice spot for that on ESPNU where you see – I mean, I've already seen replays of, of a bunch of different spring uh, football practices and spring games. I'm hoping that uh, – worst case, if I don't get to watch on, uh, on Saturday, then I get to watch shortly thereafter. Um, what do you think about uh, Schaefer being mic'd up for this game? Um, I know. It was oh, I wish I was
2: there. <laughs> I think it'd be great. Um, I thought it was a really cool like thing to bring in. It it connects people to the you know the reason you go to a, sp- a football practice or a spring game, which is a football practice, is to get like a deeper look at the at the team beyond what the games are are like. And and I used to go to football practice every day uh, when I was a senior. I wrote up stuff for the site every, you know, however many days they practice that week, and you really get a different perspective on the team, and I'm sure Schaefer will try to, you know, watch his language a bit and everything, but he's really excited to watch. He's, he's just awesome <laughs> practice. Like, he, I, I had more fun watching Schaefer jump around as a defensive coordinator than I did play like players doing their thing a lot of the time, so hopefully he brings some energy and, and, you know, helps connect to the entire fan base, because... A lot of people haven't had a chance to like meet Schaefer really don't know a lot about his personality and he's a really awesome guy and I think, you know, doing a little bit of stuff that's kind of inside baseball for the fans is uh is a good thing. It it opens up and, and, and shows, you know, a connection to the fan base and, and lets them feel like they're getting really involved. So I think it should be cool. I hope that we catch some of that stuff on the T V broadcast. No, totally.
1: Um,
2: I think for me, uh I think I mean, yeah, if
1: I, was, if I was there, I would get to watch the, like, unfiltered Schaefer uh, just, I mean, probably come completely unglued at some point during that uh, practice.
2: They should just have Schaefer uh, as an sideline reporter. <laughs> he just not interview anyone. He just, every so often, they cut Schaefer and, and have him talk about what he's seen. It would be amazing. I think it would just—it would be also
1: entertaining just to like you know fuel the fire towards like everybody just hating him for for one reason or another. It's actually kind of fun like at some points, but then you see like I know we saw last year with the uh, you know soft nosed Georgia thing that like <laughs> as soon as like everyone's willing to tolerate us until suddenly like they just had enough and then the internet decides to unload all their hate at once.
2: Syracuse um, has never so, been more of a factor in college football's general Twitter uh, universe than it was that day. I
1: I, I was just kind of – I remember, like, I think you, me, and Sean had, like, a conversation going. We're just like, Christ, like, what is going on? <laughs> like, I didn't realize, like, everybody just hated Syracuse football this much. <laughs> or knew or knew
2: that Syracuse had football this much.
1: Yeah. Then, yeah, we have pretty much, like, two of the most, like, derided coaches like, on the Internet in Beyheim and Schaefer, which is fine. I just I, – I, I want championships to go with that, as, as selfish as that sounds. I think, you know what, like, there's there's a fine line between people will tolerate ornery when it comes with wins. And I think, like, that's why I like Bayheim, for the most part. Like, last year you saw everyone was fine with him. Being who he was because we were in the Final Four this year. You know the wheels fell off, so everyone went back to you know just beating around the pinata. Um, so I guess that would be my only caveat. With like as thrilling and fun as it is to have, you know these two coaches and that sort of setup, I would say that is the one thing I might caution against. That over time people can just kind of
2: get sick of hearing it from from people. Yeah, I think I mean Beheim. I think has kind of earned it through through the years of being and not caring. A and, and B being so ornery, which is fine with me. He can do whatever he wants. Schaefer uh, didn't really, just that unlucky. Like these people don't pay attention to series football outside of our fan base, except for when he makes one tweet that wasn't that bad and curses out a big name program coach. Uh, another time, which a which is probably not a thing that happens like infrequently. It's just he got caught that one time on camera. So, like Schaefer absolutely like the nicest guy in the world, but the fact that people, you know, who don't care about our program at all otherwise, are gonna complain about him is pretty ridiculous in my opinion. No, I, I him we we'll the on board
1: there. Uh, then on the defensive end, um, you know, back to the team on the field, uh, we've kind of been dealing with a lot of injuries not not really a big big fan um of the amount of kind of knocks the team's been taking. I know uh I know there was that article on uh, what's it called on Syracuse.com today about, you know, Cam Lynch saying don't worry about it, everybody's gonna be fine, but like we are seeing a lot of guys get knocked around. It's not a,
2: uh, I am not overly overly thrilled about that aspect of things. It's not great, but it happens pretty often, like when you have players practicing for the first time in a while, and a lot of them, you know, who knows what what goes on or whatever. Like there's, it's just kind of a free thing. But I'd I'd much rather have them happen in spring than have them in fall camp or have them in September. So I'm not I'm just too worried about it. Um, and it seems like a lot of them are just minor things that are compiling, and there's no real reason to risk inju- risk further injury for for practice. Fair enough.
1: So on uh, defense, you know, like kind of the same question we dealt with the offense. Who is a uh, who is the guy that did you really want to see? I mean, I know again we have a lot of people um, who won't be out there, but, uh, but who is the person you want to see? You know, kind of break out um, in this game or
2: at least show us something they might not have uh, before. Um, I'm really interested to see how Marcus Hodge plays in the middle. Um, It sounds like he's kind of taking that middle linebacker job for his own, which is exciting, Um, especially because he looked really good when he played last year. Even in that awful, awful game in Atlanta that we don't like to talk about, he had like a bunch of he had a crazy number of tackles in his first start. So he seems to have that really like he's one of those really instinctual linebackers, kind of like Darrell Smith was, except he has better size and and probably a little faster. So to see him kind of running with that position when no one really expected him to as a, as a sophomore is pretty awesome. Um, it, and if we can nail down that middle linebacker spot for three years, that'd be great. Um, otherwise, I really want to see uh, Ron Thompson play. Um, I thought he was really good last year, too, in his first year at the end. And people were really worried about him based on the injuries and, and him moving from tight end where he was such a highly acclaimed recruit. But he played – you know, he showed a lot last year, I saw, in limited time. And I think the entire defensive line, they obviously lose Jay Bromley, which is a big knock since the rotation. But a lot of those guys had really nice seasons last year on their own. Um, and I think Thompson's probably my, the most exciting athlete because there's still a lot of, like, mystery about him, and, and he seems to have a lot of potential. So I think those two will be interesting to watch.
1: Good call. Um I would say for me, I mean – you know, I think this is this is Tyshon Davis' this season to shine, in my opinion. I, I think he really does have you know so much just ramp to absolutely dominate. And just a question. I mean, and I think you know that's also a testament to the Cam Lynch too. Um, you know, to have like two very very senior um, you know linebackers hanging in there uh, allows you know. There's going to be more double teams. There's going to be more opportunities for both, um, you know, to really kind of, really kind of exploit some matchup problems um, against the defenses. And I'm excited to see that. Um, where I'm, I'm looking for something, and like kind of anything. Uh, and I think we can all agree here uh, is, you know, the secondary. I know that there's a lot of guys um, out, which doesn't really help matters. I know Reddish is out. and know Wiggum's dealt with some some injuries here and there. Eskridge is out. Um, But, you know, seeing if a guy like uh, Richard DeSeer can step up um, and and actually show us something, you know, maybe it's one of the freshmen uh, that jump in and do something. I I just think that, you know, if nothing else, I want to see, I mean, I don't want to see Hunt get picked off a ton, um, in this game, but at the same time, I, I need to see, I need to see something from these uh, defensive backs. I, I know, like you can't get much worse than it did last year, um, and I need, I need to see some focus. I need to see some, you're know, not getting beat on deep routes, keeping receivers in check. Um, that to me, I think is the big key for the defense. No matter what happens with the pass rush, no matter what happens with the linebacker, um, just getting, getting some semblance of a secondary out there and
2: looking like they know what they're doing would be very, very ideal for me. Yeah, I don't know if this is going to be the best time to do that because I don't think we have many secondary players playing at all on Saturday. So, I know Eric jackson has been like the rotation at corner and and Eric Jackson is probably a great kid and that's credit to the community, but he's not going to be a starting cornerback at Syracuse, so um, I really hope Hunt doesn't get picked off either. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's the other issue. Is if, if he keeps getting like, if, if Hunt doesn't look great against, you know, kind of a patchwork defensive secondary, what? I mean, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna overreact, and I know you won't either, Dan. But, but I'm curious to see what happens in the greater Syracuse-related internet if
2: if he you know just
1: can't seem to get it together against what effectively is like a
2: D. Are you saying that Syracuse fans tend to overreact? Because <laughs> I, I haven't noticed.
1: <laughs> I know, right? I mean, not that I'm, you know, entirely devoid of, of blame there either.
2: <laughs>
1: and these things are these things are cyclical. I I have my moments just like everybody else. But uh, but no, I, I can definitely see I can definitely see a bit of a, uh, bit of a shitstorm brewing if, if for some reason Vine doesn't, uh, for some reason, uh, Hunt doesn't show up and doesn't really, uh, you know, look like a world beater. And again, people need to stop, you know, diving into spring game attendance and what the team looks like spring game. Like, nobody's gonna empty out the entire playbook. During a spring game, especially when ESPN pretty much televises all of them at this point, um, you know, why let your why let you know your secrets and, and what you're working on and all that like reach the light of day when there's still so much time before the season? There's so much left to work on, um, and I mean, I, I don't think we're any different than the other fan base. I think you know everyone has their wackos, everyone has their people that need to be you know. Talked in off a ledge, and and I, I, I know we're going to be dealing with some of that after the game, but I just hope that what we can focus on, you know, some of the big things that we discussed, just like, you know, seeing if there are any contributors on defense we haven't really um, ID'd yet, seeing if there are, you know, seeing how this offense at least starts to come together um, in year two under George McDonnell. And the offensive of line, um, I think is going to be, I think it can be a strength, and it can be a lot of fun to watch. I think it's just a question of, you know, how fast can they all come together last year? Um, I think Hunt was able to do what he did because of the depth we had at offensive line and the and the experience that we had, you know, having all five starters in there for so long really kind of set the table for, for an experienced quarterback. And now that we have an experienced quarterback um, in an offensive line in flux, I'm curious to see if those things can balance each other out once again.
2: That'd be nice. Um, real quick, apparently while we recorded this, uh, Nico Tamerian from CNY Central has said that, according to a source, there may be two major announcements made at SU at Destiny tomorrow. And he also said, "Source tells me that news of new jerseys are a major understatement of what will be announced tomorrow." What? I like if that's a major understatement. I I don't know. I, like I've been wondering why it's at Destiny. That doesn't make any sense if it's just jerseys. So we'll have to see. I'm I'm excited now. I'm
1: excited, but what time is it at? Is it two forty five tomorrow? Eastern? Two
2: forty five Eastern, yeah.
1: Hmm. That's eleven forty five my time. Yeah, I'll figure this out. Well,
2: yeah. uh, that and we also the last thing that we probably didn't touch on that we should is uh Franklin Howard. Committing yesterday to the men's basketball program as the third member of the 2015 class. Uh, I did see the tape, and I was a huge fan. He's 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 a good player. He's um, a six four uh, combo guard. He's probably more of a shooting guard at this point, but apparently he's been playing point guard, and that's where the position he's trying to develop at. And having a six four point guard would be nice um, if he can play the one. It'd be really great that, you know, if we can continue to add some depth there since it's been such an issue the last two years. Um, and assuming Caleb doesn't explode like Ennis did this year and doesn't go to the NBA right away, having two big recruits at the one uh, two years in a row would be nice so we don't have to rely on freshmen. Um, but, yeah, it did pick up, and, and there's still a lot of room for that class. Um, with P- team graduating, um, you know, who knows how long we have Chris McCullough uh, because he's a really great talent. Um, who knows what happens with a lot of other people uh, between Coleman's injury and other people might blow up. Like, we don't know what Roberson does this year. He could have a great year. Um, so there's there's still some room to do after big, big recruits there, but Howard's a really nice get. Uh, he shows us over Ohio State and a couple others. Um, kid from Virginia, so... Solid solid day to be orange and I feel like like there was no fanfare for his selection, but really solid four star guy, uh and he'll be a, he should be a good one. Absolutely on board.
1: Um yeah, I like I said, I, I got to look at the tape briefly, I'm a really big fan. Um you know, I I'm probably the worst person out of everybody that writes on the site to to say that we need to walk back from the ledge. But with <laughs> that said, I think we uh I think football and basketball are in a much better place than uh, we're all willing to give credit to sometimes. Um, and it's exciting to see recruits like Howard. It's exciting to, well, hopefully exciting to hear whatever news um, we're hearing tomorrow. Um, I know somebody mentioned uh, potential SU-themed, like, SU um, store in the mall, but I don't feel like that's big enough news to warrant mm-hmm. it was, like, bigger
2: so. <laughs> I Maybe, I mean, I jokingly said it on Twitter, maybe, like, we're just going to start playing football at Destiny. This is going to be the new stadium. They're going to, like, blow up the rally in the middle of the ball and put a field there, and it's just going to be like shopping and football. <laughs> the special
1: announcement is that we finally built a Jim Beheim statue.
2: <laughs> this fight is <laughs> going to unveil it for all of us. <laughs> All right,
1: well, on that note, uh, I guess we'll wrap things up here. Uh, thanks again for joining, Dan. Always appreciated. Yep, we'll talk
2: soon, and hopefully this announcement isn't that we're uh, – I don't know. I don't have a joke. I started one, but I don't have a punchline. Hopefully it's a good thing. Folding the football program. <laughs> yes, hopefully we are not folding the football program, but we are releasing new jerseys for that on non-existent, non-existent football program. <laughs> Well, on
1: that note, um, I'm John. That was Dan. Uh, you've been listening to Syracuse Sports Make Me Drink here on the Troy News and Absolute Magician Podcast Network. And uh, whatever the announcement is tomorrow, uh, go orange.
0: At Jarrett.